Welcome to On the Metal, Tales from the Hardware Software Interface. I'm Brian Cantrell. With me, as always, is Jess Frizzell. Hey, Jess. Hi, Brian. <laughs> Joining us today is our boss, Steve Tuck. Hey, Steve. Glad to be here. All right. Keep us in line. Jess, you want to introduce who we've got with us in the garage? So today we have Kenneth Finnegan, and I found out about him through his blog like years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Yeah. And he does interesting things with, you know, I'll let it, him describe it himself better. I, uh, all right, all right, no pressure. Data yeah, there you go. Right. And uh, yeah, just a really good maker. Welcome to the garage, Kenneth. Hey, thanks for having me. So go for it. Yeah. Uh, Jess has given you a lot to live up here. Oh, geez. Right. I mean, it's kind of, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of one of those people that is kind of a jack of all trades is like I, I started in mechanical engineering, at, you know, during college. And it was one of those things that going into college, I only really went, I literally only picked mechanical engineering because... Um, I figured that computer science you can do with just a laptop and electrical engineering, you just need one bench and only the mechanical engineering students got access to the machine shop. I love it. Bigger toys. Right. So I figured, well, I can't fit a metal lathe in my apartment. And so clearly I need to major in mechanical engineering. So the idea is I can always go do computer science later. Yeah. Right. And go. so it's like, you know, I was, I was, mess so it was one of these things I really, I realized real on that, you know, Disciplining yourself just into one thing wasn't going to be productive, right? And mm -hmm. so to say that I'm a pure mechanical engineer was, you know, it, it, it pigeonholes you and that's that's not what's actually useful these days. And so I always really did had this strong emphasis on, you know, do one thing during your day job and then do something completely different as your hobby. Um, and many times now that has proven that I accidentally several years later turned that into my day job. So um, so Jesse, Jesse discovered me several years ago at the beginning of my latest hobby that has now turned into my, that is now turning into my day job transition, which was while I was working. So my, my last career was that I worked in semiconductor as an electrical engineer. So that started as a test engineer at a solar cell startup. So we were designing cutting edge, uh, gallium arsenide based solar cells that were twice as efficient, more than twice as efficient as silicon solar cells. Wow. Right. And then from there, I went over to Lamb Research. Lamb Research is a 600-pound gorilla in semiconductor fab equipment companies. And so they're the ones that make the tools for Intel, Samsung, TSMC. Is applied materials, still, are they still around? Because when I moved out to Silicon Valley, it was Lamb and Apple Mat were the two like big folks. Absolutely, yeah. So AMAT still exists. Um, so kind of the, the three, the, our two main competitors from Lamb were AMAT and Tel, uh, not Intel, but tell out of Japan. I just love it. Like three companies that most people haven't heard of doing incredibly sophisticated machines. Yeah, right. And it's, it's crazy because like LAM, like semiconductor capital equipment, like the stuff that goes into a silicon wafer fab, it's about $32 billion a year. Whoa. And about a quarter of that business comes from LAM. Wow. Right. Wow. Like we, like it is an enormous company that is just one layer removed from any sort of marketing because we have 12 customers. <laughs> right. right? Oh, so yeah. It's like everyone's heard of Samsung and everyone's heard of Intel because they need to sell their products to everyone. But semiconductor fabs have gotten so outrageously expensive and hard when you're down in the single digit nanometer feature sizes that, you, you can know, tune back your social a little bit, your social marketing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, it's like, it's at that point we only have 12 Customers, so, customers. Right. They, they all know they, who we are. They, they have look. They got twelve followers on Twitter. So yeah. they're good. No, it's perfect. Hundred yeah, percent. Exactly. Yeah, right. But um, but yeah. So I, I worked there for three years, and during that, one of my friends, um, kind of one of my good friends from amateur radio, 
projects I worked on. His whole career for the last 15 years was working in, at Cisco in their technical application center, their TAC, which is, you know, a, a customer buys a really expensive tool and they think they found a bug in the operating system. They go back to someone like Javier and say, you know, hey, I think I found this actual defect. And then they, you know, work together to prove out. And so he worked for Cisco for 15 years. And um, during that was involved with the internet, right? Um, and so where Jesse discovered me was right at the beginning of my kickoff into this project of, I realized that for a lot of my projects, it didn't make sense to be using AWS or DigitalOcean for my own projects. And LAM, their campus is only three blocks away from Hurricane Electric. Hurricane Electric being a major tier two worldwide internet carrier. So they, they you know, they're, they sell you, can sell you internet in 190, or they're probably up to about 200 data centers that you can buy internet from them. Plus they happen to run Colo in Fremont because that's where they started. From, since that was only three blocks away, uh, it made sense that, okay, if I split the cost of a cabinet with one of my other friends, the two of us can get a whole 44U rack of data center and fill it with whole hard drives. And it doesn't cost you anything beyond the cost of the hard drive to stick another hard drive in there. Um, and so Javier, my friend, said, "Well, yeah, but if you're going to get a da- if you're going to get a cabinet and data center, you should go one step further because that's not ridiculous enough. You should run the rack, just the one rack, as its own ISP, right? And so the the internet is made up of ISPs. They're called the technical term is an autonomous system. And so AT and T that you buy your internet from is one autonomous system." Cloudflare is another autonomous system. And the internet is made by this fact that you interconnect all of these 61,000 different autonomous systems. Which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Oh, yeah. No, they, like they, these are actually a bunch of little small internets. Yes. I mean, it is truly and, an internet. It's and an they internet combine together. That, like, that's, that's the fascinating part to me about it is that like it's just these like this kind of cabal of network people that form the internet. Like it's not like something fancy. Yeah, like, it's, it's very hippie, really. Yeah, and, and, and it was one of those things that they, they got a lot of things conceptually right in that the key, to, the key to the internet and making the internet a scalable entity is that you draw very clear lines on an administrative boundaries for where your business ends and where someone else's business begins, hmm. right? And so BGP, the Border Gateway Protocol, which is used to route between every single separate network in the internet... Um, is not really so much a routing protocol as it is a business policy expression protocol. Oh, interesting. That's and interesting so yeah. like, that's why it w- has been so successful because it lets your business side of, a, of your business actually dictate policy that you can then implement on the internet, right? Because so much more of the internet than you want to think about is politics and money, but engineers don't like to think about that, but they managed to get that right in the protocol that the protocol can express either optimal engineering design or some, you can slide, you can move that slider anywhere as far over as you want into business policy for money. Mm. So Javier says, Hey, Kenneth, this would be really funny if you um, (laughs) filled out the paperwork and bought a Cisco router on eBay um, and applied for an autonomous system number and, he had enough friends in the internet that he's like, I can get you some address space, no problem, right? Because the, the challenge with starting an ISP in 2017 is that the the five regional internet registries that hand out the numbers have nominally run out of IP addresses for IPv4. He's like, but, you know, we can solve that problem. Like, we, we, we got ways. And so I did it, right? 
So instead of just being a colo customer for Hurricane Electric, I became my own ISP in the building. The we uh, the auto- autonomous system numbers are just literally serial numbers, right? And so if you go, you know, so if you go actually look in the core of the internet, every single network has some number assigned to them. So like Hurricane Electric is AS sixty nine thirty nine, one number, right? Um, and it's one of these things that you know traditionally people were always like, oh yeah, the smaller ISs are more more you know appealing because it you know makes you look like you've been around longer. And so when I applied for an AS number, I was expecting to get something up at about the three hundred thousands, which is where they're currently handing them out. And just by dumb luck, this architecture firm had gone out of business exactly two years before, and so their AS number of seven thousand and thirty four. Wait, an architect. What is an architecture firm doing with an AS number? Yeah. That, I mean, that was. I mean, that was the whole concept of the internet, right? It's like you know, you have all sorts of weird little entities like this, like you know, architecture firms and cement. And when you're talking architecture, I mean, we're talking about like built architecture, like a design architecture. office like, somewhere with little models of right. buildings. How do they run that themselves? I am. I can, How do they run? I that have themselves? so many follow up questions. I have so many questions too, but they're gone, so they're out of business. <laughs> okay, so, but anyways, ahead. they they freed up their AS number, and then two years later, I happened to time my application just right that I got a small. AS number. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I'm nowhere near as legitimate as I look having now run this, you know, one cabinet ISP that is AS 7034. Um, but so that's, that's how I got into it. Right. And so then it was, you know, per most of my projects like this, where I'm doing something ridiculous or silly, I wrote up this blog post saying how to start your own autonomous system for fun and profit. Um, it hit the front of Reddit r slash home lab. And then, you know, Jesse found it and you know, her 120,000 followers. Um, <laughs> Right, but so then it that wasn't where the that wasn't where the joke ended, because then the problem was well once you're own your own autonomous system you're no longer dependent on any one other network for your internet connection right at home you don't run an autonomous system and you are totally dependent on Comcast or AT and T or whoever your consumer ISP is for internet, but as my own autonomous system I can connect to more than one other network and become part of the whole mesh that is the internet and so. I asked Hurricane Electric to put me in the same colo aisle as the rest of a few of our other friends that also happened to have their networks come into the building. And so we were all just in one little aisle and we were kind of calling ourselves the uh, aisle six cabal, right? We're just a couple guys there running our own autonomous system. And so you're all on your autonomous system effectively. Each one of us is on our own autonomous system. Everyone had their own. Everyone had their own. Everyone had their own. We were each on everyone's, right? So so, So this is like the homebrew autonomous system club. Yeah, Yeah, this this is like if Reddit r slash home lab finally got over this concept of getting old, old as hell Dell servers on Craigslist and actually did something interesting. Like right. that's, that's, what, that's what we're actually doing. Right. So, yeah. um, but we don't bother posting a home lab because that form is just awful. Um, but anyways, so, you know, so I've got, we're you know, building our own internet. We actually yeah. don't want to be on the internet. No, 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 that, that is like not, a terrible thing to happen on no, the internet. We're not building our own internet. We're building part of the, the internet, internet, right? This but, is uppercase. Well, we actually the don't real, want to use this right? to actually we're not, get to Reddit. We're not, we're not screwing around. Like this <laughs> right. is the actual internet. Right, right, right. Um, and so, guys. oh yeah, I, I, there's a, one of them, like, you know, my, my, my cabinet was Firefly Design, which is my consulting company. And then, you know, next to me, we've got HalNet, which is a few of my friends. And then we've got Loma Broadband, which is one of our friends that, you know, has it runs a wireless ISP. And then you, you just, you go down the aisle, right? We're, we're all just right next to each other. It's six solid cabinets of buddies, right? And anytime that anyone's in town, we'll go and, you know, have dinner. And since I worked three blocks away, they all loved it because they could pay me in beer to go after go there after work and swap hard drives for them. And I assume you've got the lowest ID of any of these. One of them set up a cron job that once a month he sends me an email saying, you asshole, with your lower <laughs> lower ASN number than me. I love it. Right. So, so you got the only OG 
the autonomous system number here. Yeah, as I right. So I was I for a long time I was the lowest AS number on the aisle, well, and then someone someone finally beat me out uh-oh. recently. Um, but so there's six of us, and we are running our own ASNs, which means that we can all cross connect to each other, and instead any traffic that leaves one of our cabinets and is ultimately destined for another cabinet doesn't have to go through the whole internet, the cloud that is the internet and back down. Oh, you just peered. You can peer directly, right? And Hurricane Electric is one of the <laughs> best deals on cross connects in the Bay Area. Like if you, if you go to any, like a, an actual, like an Equinix data center, which is like, you know, the, the major incumbent data center provider, they charge you $300 per month for a cross connect. If you want a fiber run from your cabinet, someone else's cabinet, it's $300 Per month, right? Per cross for the piece of fiber to sit in a cable tray. Hurricane Electric. It, it, it's one of those I'm in the wrong business moments. Yeah, right. It's like you can, you know, you ultimately they ultimately end up selling this, you know, twenty dollar piece of fiber for about you know eight thousand oh, dollars right. from you know the, across this whole service service span, assuming they don't reuse the fiber, which I mean Equinix probably would. We're running the uh, so it's like Hurricane Electric has a really good deal. Like they just do a single time fee for like you know the kind of legitimate like it's going to cost us about fifty bucks to go run a crop, copper Ethernet cable down the aisle for you. We charge you fifty bucks for it, and that's it. Like that's fifty one time, one time, fifty dollars. Like very fair, right? Um, but you know we were a cabal and we were all kind of like right next to each other and we were on the end of the aisle, so we weren't really disturbing anyone else. And so we just we did we kind of didn't feel like pain. I mean, who's going to notice a cable, right? Yeah. So you know we we slipped we so we slipped a, a cable up into the cable rack between two of our networks, which no one should do this, right? Like the, the, right. Hey, the hey, kids, don't do what Kenneth does. <laughs> do what I say, not what I do, because this was one of those things that like, you're violating the contract for the colo. So it's like, you should not do this. And so we started slipping cables up there. But the problem is when you've got six networks, um, a densely connected mesh is an N squared problem. Right. That you, you're, you're the number of cross connects that you need to connect everyone to everyone goes quadratic. It, it's hard to keep these cables on the slide. Well, yeah. And it's like, we're not, we weren't even using the same color cables as Hurricane Electric. So <laughs> right. like when we got up to 25 cables up in this cable tray, it started getting pretty obvious that we were, we were not paying Hurricane Electric for these cross connects that we were supposed to. So it got to the point where. <laughs> How often do they see illegal cabling in their, in their colo? Is that is that a common problem? Uh, it's absolutely. Oh, there are all sorts of horror stories about illegal cabling. Because um, he's like stories from prison. Yeah, right. It's, <laughs> it's like you know, because like the thing is, it's like it, it in in real data centers that would charge you on a monthly fee. There's a huge business incentive to try and somehow bypass these cross connects, and so people would try and get two cabinets next to each other, and then you would rock the cabinets a little bit off the seismic holdings to get enough of a gap underneath the, the cabinet that you would slip fiber in wow. between your two cabinets between them. There's people that have gotten a cabinet one floor above, directly above another cabinet, and then gone in there with a concrete drill and drilled through the floor. I mean, how much are you are saving? These, yeah, these this businesses? is a prison. This is a prison. This because prison. what you would do in prison is drill through the floor. You drill through the concrete floor. Right. To get down, it's like, right? Because you're saving $300 per month. Right, and so that okay. is thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. And there's assuming the, the, that you only want one piece of fiber, right? If you're running some sort of like you know high density, you know, you know. 10 by, you know, five, five by 10 so gig. You're breaking in at night with a concrete drill. Well, I mean, you know, because, you know, just, you, know you come in, at, you come in at any time you want because these, these facilities are sure. all 24 hours. And, and there's another rack that's smuggling fruit right? out of the and commissary like, and making hooch. Right. And it's like, you know, and it's like, it's all loud as hell in there anyway. So, I mean, what, what is a concrete impact drill, <laughs> right. you know, hammer drill compared to, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's all true. Because I was like, how does no one notice? Oh, it is loud. Right? I, and, and I feel like no if, you, one in there. if you look like you know what you're doing with a concrete impact drill, people are going to leave you alone. Yeah, they're going to be like, 
like, oh, they work I, there. I can say from firsthand experience that a high-vis vest, a white hard hat, and a clipboard can get you so many places <laughs> with a look of intense, like you're supposed to be there. It will get you anywhere. It's like, oh, the concrete drill yeah, guy is right? here. All right, yeah, right well, that's know. good. Yeah, well, I'll right? let him in. Yeah, I'm, I'm here to run some conduit or something. All right, all right. All right. so there's, there's all sorts of this these tomfoolery. So like, it was, and Hurricane Electric, bless their soul, they're, they're a light touch Colo provider. And so it was like the technician is walking me in to unlock my cabinet. Hurricane Electric. We look the other way. <laughs> I, I just feel like I want this to be like a sitcom. This is like community or whatever, right? right. Like this, like Dude, a story of a rack to get off the earthquake good. security right. to, you know, yeah. and, and so he comes in and he points up at this bundle of 25 different cables that are various colors. And like, and a lot of these cables were coming from my the e-waste bin in my day job. And so these weren't just normal Ethernet cables, which were like triple shielded, semiconductor, fab grade, armored Ethernet cable. So it was really obvious what right. was going on. These are cables that have been actually dug out of an actual trash bin. Yes. Right. Right. And so they're like, okay, like you What's need to knock, like you can leave them here, but you need to knock this off. Like this needs to this needs to <laughs> stop. You need to be a little more discreet. Right. <laughs> like, you're making me look like bad. look, I'm trying to be cool right. and you're making it really yeah. hard. <laughs> this is this is getting out of hand, right? And so we're sitting there like, well, okay. So um, we, and the thing is like, we have no business need for these cross connects because <laughs> right. like no, we're all web hosting providers. We're all running like web servers. So, like these cross connects are literally trading three kilobits per second of BGP keep up, keep alive signals <laughs> to let, let have our two routers tell each other they're still there. Right. We're never actually moving any traffic across. these things. there's no, there's no justification for the $50 cross connect. So we don't actually need it. And we're like, well, okay. Kenneth's cabinet is kind of in the middle of our block of the cabal. Um, and the router that I bought happened to come with a 150 ethernet ports on it just cause that was the switch I ended up with. Um, and so it was like, okay, well, Kenneth is in the middle aisle. He's got a bunch of ethernet ports. Um, we've got some spare slash 24s laying around from other projects. Let's just start our own internet exchange. <laughs> Right, because the internet exchanges are essentially the dots on the web of the internet where a whole bunch of lines meet and become these clearinghouses for if I have traffic destined for some other inter some other network on the internet, I can either hand it to my, you know, my transit provider who's going to be the, the huge global networks that go all the way around the world, but you can also go to one of these internet exchange points, which are literally just an ethernet switch that a lot of people connect to. And if you have traffic that happens to be destined for anyone else on that exchange, you can put it on that exchange directly and not pay your transit not provider transit. Okay. to hopefully hand it off to the actual destination somewhere close and not on the other side of the world. So forgive the, the stupid question, but what is the overlap between autonomous systems and internet exchanges? Are internet exchanges composed of different autonomous systems? The, uh, the internet exchanges are where the autonomous systems all come to meet. Okay. And so it is it is the, the edge between all of the different autonomous systems. So the internet exchange itself has an autonomous system number that is really just one ethernet switch that everyone connects to. Got it. Okay. Right. Um, so like our, you know, so we, we applied for an autonomous system number and we got like 33,459 or 495, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Right. So, you know, lame, right. You know, 33,000. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Right. Yeah. It's pathetic. So, so we're like, okay, well, this will, this will be funny. Like we'll just, we'll, we'll, we can rip out 20 of the cables. We'll leave five of them all going into Kenneth's cabinet and we'll start, you know, we're looking for domains that are available and FCIX.net is available. So we register for the Fremont Cabal Internet Exchange, right? And we start this thing as a joke, right? Because it's like, all right, we, we've solved the cable problem. All five, you know, all six of us are on there. We're peering, we're sending our BGP hellos. We're moving a whole 25 kilobits of traffic. This is great. 
uh, if, if anyone doesn't happen to know Hurricane Electric, uh, Hurricane Electric is notorious on the internet infrastructure side for being the most peered network, the best connected network in the world. Their, their business policy is we'll try and get money from customers that are willing to pay us money for our services, but we will also peer with anyone. Right. If you have a network and you want to peer with Hurricane, they won't give you the whole internet over that peering, but they'll give you access to their customers over that. And so Hurricane Electric loves peering. They love internet exchanges. They're they're connected to more than 200 internet exchanges worldwide, which is phenomenal. Like they are the most connected network. And so one of the members of the cabal a couple of weeks later was having dinner with the owner of Hurricane Electric. I went, you know, mentioned to him over dinner offhandedly, oh yeah, so, you know, we solved that cabling problem we had in our aisle. We just started our own internet exchange. And and the owner of Hurricane Electric, Mike, goes, well, that's fantastic, right? He's just energetic guy. That's amazing. We want it. Hurricane Electric wants a port on your internet exchange, right? And so we're sitting there, oh, shit. Right. Um, okay. Well, it's uh, like, whoa, dad wants to party with right? us. Oh, okay. right. like we were, we were not, a pe- not prepared for this turn of right. events um, because it's like, we weren't doing any sort of like filtering or security on it. Cause it's like, we're six of us and we all knew each other, which right. is really how a lot of the internet works anyways, is everyone knows each other. Cause there's about a hundred of us. There's a hundred people running the internet and they all know each other. They move from company to company, but it's the same hundred people all the time. And so it's like, we all knew each other. We, were, we weren't going to be doing anything. We're also, we're six cabinets. So it's like, we can't, the blast radius of the, of the Fremont Cabal Internet Exchange was pretty small. The blast radius of the Fremont Cabal Internet Exchange just became the entire world, right? And so it was like, okay, we, <laughs> we need to sit down and read some more stuff about Internet Exchanges. And so since it was in my cabinet, it became my job on my free time to now run the Fremont Cabal Internet Exchange. Um, so Hurricane Electric's like, okay, well, we, we want 10 gig into your exchange because, you know, like 10 gig is the new one gig. And so my router happened to have four 10 gig interfaces on them. Um, and so, okay, great. We can give them a 10 gig interface. And then Hurricane Electric, um, apparently unbeknownst to us, sent a mandate to their salespeople that anytime that you talk to any other autonomous system customer in the building, pitch that they also join the Fremont Cabal Internet Exchange. Nice. Because it's an internet exchange in our building, of course we want it to be successful. And so, what is their incentive in this? Is just to give you a reason to be in Hurricane Electric, or well, so there's there's so I mean, is there any real traffic going to any of your networks? Well, at at the time, it's like we're each we're each our own little web server, so we're moving you know 100, 200 megabits. But the huge incentive for Hurricane Electric, as not as a national worldwide carrier transit provider, but as the colo provider, the the colocation data center arm of Hurricane Electric has a huge incentive to encourage us in the internet exchange to be in the building because it if there's an internet exchange, it means that it's easier for any other network to come in if they're in the market not for colo space to run servers, but they're, if they're in the market for, col- for a data center to get them connected to the rest of the internet, an internet exchange is a fantastic place to give them more connectivity than you could ever buy in a data center, right? Like in Hurricane Electric's data center, they have like six carriers between like Hurricane Electric, Comcast Business, AT&T, um, right? It's like you only, you have like six carriers. You get an internet exchange in there and all of a sudden someone can come in, buy worldwide connectivity from two carriers and then get connected to however many more people are happen to be on the internet exchange as well. So it makes their colo more valuable. It makes their colo much more attractive from this connectivity perspective, right? Because this, the, the your your typical co-location customer now is either coming in, they're either coming in to buy connectivity to the rest of the internet, or they're coming in to 
typically to run some sort of hybrid cloud thing, right? And so it's like you started on AWS and you realized that storage is expensive or compute is expensive. You're coming in and you're getting or like- Or expensive. Right. You're coming in and you're getting like 30 cabinets to do something else, right? But it, that first market segment of the people that are coming in for connectivity, an internet exchange makes you hugely more valuable to them. Interesting. And so Hurricane Electric is like starts pushing all their other- other members of the building, like, hey, you should join this Fremont Cabal Internet Exchange, um, which was really easy to convince them to do it because we had decided early on that, hey, we all have day jobs and this is just a funny joke. Like, we can't charge for this because if we charge for this and it breaks, I'm not fixing it until 7 p.m. I'm not get, I'm not fixing it until I get home from work because, like, I, I actually had a, I have a day job. Um, and so selling ports on the exchange was really easy for Hurricane Electric to do because it was free, right? Because Hurricane Electric is like, yeah, like, you know, if you want to, FCIX won't charge you anything to connect to their Ethernet switch and we'll waive the $300 fiber cross-connect fee. That's just who we are. Right? Because Hurricane Electric loves peering. <laughs> Hurricane like, Electric right? loves to party. Gift with purchase. Yeah. <laughs> right? And what what's $350 for the fiber compared to increasing the valuability of their building, right? So like they're, they're all, they're hundred percent on board, right? They're, they're, they're our easily our biggest sponsor. And so then it's, it's like, okay, well now we've got a problem that we like, we, we started getting one or two applications per week. Right. Wow. So we, we went from six to seven to 10 to 12 to 13 to 15. And like, and we were, we were just like your typical fiber ethernet switch. You've got a, what are called SFP cages, which are small form factor pluggables. So it's a, you know, it's a little hole that you can then plug any fiber transceiver you want into it, right? And this is because unlike a copper ethernet switch that you're used to where you just have a 8P8C, you know, RJ45 jack on it, um, there's many different mixes of fiber. You have your multi-mode fiber, single-mode fiber. Do you want to go 10 kilometers? Do you want to go 40 kilometers, right? So the switches are modular, and then you take these optics and plug them into it based on what you want. And so at this point, we had on eBay bought a SFP line card for my router, and we're digging into the bottom of every single one of our junk bins to try and find every single SFP possible. And we were very rapidly running out of spare junk SFPs because although Hurricane Electric was giving... The fiber. They're not giving you the optics. They were not giving us the optics because right. that's like that's our network, right? Because it's like you know, it's like we need to connect them somehow. And so I, I, I started. This was kind of becoming a problem. So it's like you know, I'm like, all right, well, I got to go on like weird Chinesium eBay stuff, and I'm buying optics there. I'm like, that's this isn't a good plan. And it's like, and 10 gigabit SFPs are still kind of expensive. They're like, and we're talking like fifty dollars a piece for 10 gig. And like ten dollars a piece for one gig, right? So it's like it's not insignificant, but it's like when you're run, doing a joke, you don't want to go drop a thousand dollars on a couple of trays of these optics. So can you become BYOSFP? I mean, is we that could a, have right? So okay. I mean, some some internet exchanges do that. They're like, if you want to connect, you got to bring two optics, one for you and one for us. Um, but again, that seemed like too much of putting our customer skin in the games. Because if if I if someone gives me a fifty dollar optic and then the internet the switch goes down, they're gonna like, what the hell did I give you that switch for or that that optic for? And so. I was posting on Twitter, you know, grousing about, oh, this is kind of a problem. Like, we're kind of running out of it. And we get an email from Flex Optics. Flex Optics being one of the manufacturers of these optical transceivers. And they go, hey, like, we saw that you're running an internet exchange. This is fantastic. Like, we want to sponsor you. That's dope. <laughs> how, many, how many optics do you want? <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, that solves our optics problem, right? So then we're running – then the next problem is that we're running out of – like, we're running out of SFP cages – and like we don't have a switch dedicated to FCIX, and at this point, like we're starting to move traffic. We're moving one or two gigabits a second. Right, you got to figure like at least one or two of these these networks has got valuable stuff on it. Oh yeah, stuff on it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's like okay, well <laughs> now we're starting to run out of you know 
and it's like, we're, we're, we're looking around we're looking at switches on eBay and it's like 500 bucks. Like, I don't know if 500 bucks, you know, it's like 500 bucks for some hobby thing. It's like, oh, I don't know if I really want to drop that on. We're waffling. And then I, I get a phone call one night from my godfather's son. And he goes, Hey, I saw on Facebook that you're running an internet exchange now. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, so I work at Arista. <laughs> Arista being one of the major competitors of Cisco. And he's like, um, We'd love to sponsor you. <laughs> so dope. <laughs> so at this point, we have Arista sponsoring the switches. We've got Flex Optics sponsoring the optics. And we've got Hurricane Electric sponsoring the fiber cross connects. All of our hardware cost just disappeared. It's so dope. Like, that is the power of people. Well, I also feel this. It's very old school in terms of, like, this is, like, old school internet of, like, people kind of helping one another out. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's great. The best. Right? And it is, it's one of these things that, like, there's... There's so little money in internet exchanges because internet exchanges right. are just shortcuts around transit providers. And the cost of transit bandwidth around on the internet has gotten so, like it's one of those things that the cost of transit bandwidth drops 30% like year on year for decades now. And it's like, you know, you, you look at you look at these the business pricing of like, you can buy a whole gigabit of transit for less than $1,000 a month which, I mean, from a consumer side, you think, well, I want to pay like $90 for my gigabit. But on the wholesale market, it's a it's less than $1,000 for say, a gigabit. The consumer doesn't see that. Yeah, the consumer doesn't see that, which it's is one why- of the most high margin areas of Well, the problem, yeah, well, so the problem is like, and this is where like, people don't get it, that the wholesale cost of a gigabit of internet is about $1,000. And so when you're paying, you know, Sonic or some other ISP for gigabit fiber, and you're paying $90 a month for a one gig fiber, um, they are very much absolutely banking on you not, uh, not using, using, it, not using right. it all the time right. because they need to sell, you know, that 11, gigabit. they need to sell 12 customers the right. same one gig of internet before they can even finish paying for that, that, gig. The, that wholesale market, let alone all the fiber and infrastructure and employees to get it from the data center out to your house. Right. Right. So like once you start really understanding the wholesale internet market, the fact that ISPs can stay in business just also blows my mind. And so, um, so that's, that's why ISPs get real cranky when you like saturate your ports because like they, their business model depends on you not doing that. And so it's like, I can see both sides of those arguments where they, they start putting data caps on it. But so anyway, so internet exchanges are just a shortcut. And so there really isn't that much money in it. So if you're not an absolutely enormous, hugely valuable internet exchange that has gotten past the critical mass point and you're, you've become as valuable as the rest of the internet because you have so many networks connected to you, if you're not up to that point yet, they're really, it's incredibly hard to run it as a business. And so all of our sponsors were more than happy to support us because we were willing to put in the effort to something that makes the internet better, but no one else wants to do it because there's no money in it. And so everyone else is like more than happy to give us hardware. And like, you know, and like every year our our regional internet registry fees come up for the address space we need. And that's $250. So every year around April, I pass the hat around like, all right, guys, like we need $250. And everyone chucks, you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks in. Because like, they're like, yeah, like, you know, 20 bucks is, you know, great for a, you know, something that's kind of amusing. That's how it started. <laughs> And, and it's, it has just been this whole concophony of, okay, well, um, there's DNS, there's the root DNS servers that act as the authoritative source for the beginning of any DNS resolution. And one of them is VeriSign. VeriSign will, has a little web form that you can fill out to say, hey, I'm an internet exchange point or a large major peering provider. Um, we would like one of your, 
you know, root DNS server appliances, which is like just a one U server, ships to us to host for our internet exchange. So we, we fill out the form. The next morning I wake up to an email from VeriSign saying, congratulations, you're approved. And so VeriSign ships us a root server. So the, F, the Fremont Cabal Internet Exchange now has one of the 13 authoritative root DNS servers. You're turning into like the Forrest Gump of the internet. I was going to say, like, did Ford get in? You've got that big truck outside. And, it's oh, Soto. Right. And, and so it's like, you know, it's, just, it, it's kind of just been this whole cacophony of like, all right, well, it'd be funny. It'd be really funny if we applied for this and it happened and then we apply for it. And Every single one. Practically everyone says yes, right? Because it's like, it's, it's really easy to sell to customers when your product is free. Uh, it's really easy. Oh, that's the secret. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's easy. Just yeah, ask Hurricane Electric. That, that's, my, that's my sage business advice is if you want to sell your thing, give it away for free and make it up in volume. All right. Well, we, listen, we got to take a quick break. Um, then we're going to be back with more of Kenneth on the metal. Excellent. On the Metal is brought to you by the Oxide Computer Company, where we're going to try a new feature shamelessly ripped off of Reply All's Yes, Yes, No, where our boss, Steve Tuck, brings us a tweet we, he does not understand, and Jess and I try to explain it to him. Steve, do you have a tweet? I sure do. Go the for it. The tweet in question, UEFI Preboot Network Stack engaged the onboard Nick in such a way that it would write back DMA to particular physical memory pages sometime after control was passed to the bootloader. Corruption would occur somewhere in the user parts of the RAM disk. No idea. No idea. Jess, do you understand this tweet? So I understand definitely the part about the UEFI preboot networking stack, but the part about DMA is in question marks. So it's like, I guess you're not really sure where that's you're going. You're overthinking it. I understand this tweet. Running on-prem is painful. This is dealing with an awful, <laughs> awful firmware bug. The firmware has overwritten part of the operating system in a way that is extremely painful to debug. So who do you go to in that case? Who do you go to? You definitely strangle one of your vendors. You strangle one of your vendors. And unfortunately, your vendor is a PC vendor because all of the existing <laughs> computer companies are selling personal computers. What we need is a new computer company. So this is just saying I'm in intense pain trying to run systems on premises. That's exactly what it's saying. Steve, what can someone do if they're in intense pain running on premises? Well, if someone is running in intense pain on premises, what they should do is go over to oxide.computer to learn a little bit more about how we are going to take that pain away. Help is on the way. Join us at oxide.computer. You are not alone. All right, we are back. So, Kenneth, you you've got when we last tuned in, you've got the the, the Fremont Internet Cabal is growing without bounds. You've got yep. people, uh, corporate America is stumbling over itself to give <laughs> you free this. gear. Right. Uh, exactly. So I, I'm waiting for SoftBank. Yeah, where does it end? So, SoftBank is going to come in here and give you 200 million bucks here. I'm waiting for that. I mean, it's 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 something, right? And it, it has it just kind of it keeps going. And so it's like you know, then it was we. Uh, you start looking at the CDNs, the content distribution networks. Um, someone like Netflix or Google, a couple, you know, when video really took off, they, they ran into this unsolvable problem that the internet just isn't good enough for Netflix, right? When you look at someone like something like YouTube or Netflix that, you know, makes up 50% of the bandwidth in the entire global internet, the internet just isn't good enough for them. And so they start needing to embed their servers in the end ISPs. Well, and this was, I mean, so back in the day when people were talking about video on demand, yes. the criticism was like, we are never going to solve the last mile problem. Yeah. It's always about the last mile. Well, it's, 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 I mean, there's, you have the last mile problem, which is you got to get, you know, the, the high quality bit stream to every single house. Right. But then you've got to get it close enough to every single yeah, house. Yeah. Right. And then you've got like the fat tree problem that all of those, you know, 
10 or 20 megabit streams are all, you know, they're all ending up on the same pipe somewhere. And you can't have too many that end up at the same pipe because like, you know, Ethernet hasn't gotten that fast. <laughs> right. Um, and so it's like, yeah, you've got, you've got a huge scalability problem that the internet just, I mean, the internet still can't support, you know, naively what we move around on it. Right. And so networks like, um, like Google with YouTube and Netflix have started doing these, uh, you know, cache appliances that they gladly, if your ISP is big enough, they will give you the appliance to embed inside of your network to serve YouTube content from your metro area to your customers on your network. And, right. and so they want to give it to you because it gives their exper- their, their customers a better experience. So yeah. they're incentivized just to push that to the edge. They, they're incentivized to push it to the edge because it gives their customers a better better user experience. They're incentivized to give it to you because it saves them transit cost because they no longer have to serve that content every single time out of their core data centers. And, it incentiv- and the ISP is incentivized to give them the space and power to run that server inside of the ISP's network because they no longer have to pay their transit provider to pull in that content. Right? You're like an original influencer model. It's dope. Yeah, right? It's like, you know, why, why I, if I can, you're telling, you know, so like any ISP is looking at this and going, wait, you're telling me that if I host your server inside of our network, our transit cost, which is $1,000 a month per gig, our transit cost drops by 30% because 30% of our traffic is coming from Netflix. Sign me up. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but now, the, but in your case, that's not true. In, in my case is not true, right? Because my my, net, my my Firefly design is a one cabinet web server. So. Right, that is not itself watching Netflix. Yeah, so I, like my like at best, we have like one or two of us VPNed in, and we're actually forgot to turn off the v, VPN before watching YouTube. So like Firefly design isn't making it. Right, and the the thresholds for these cache appliances. I mean, you're, you're talking about a couple like real servers, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so like you know, you're talking about a couple thousand dollars of the hardware. So I mean, like they're not giving these things away like candy either. And so there's certain thresholds, like, you know, you need to have at least X number of gigabits of YouTube traffic before they'll send you one of these appliances. And so a lot of the other small regional ISPs, which happen to be a lot of them in the East Bay, um, buying their internet from Hurricane, because Hurricane's such a good connectivity provider and such a good colo provider to start your network from. Um, there happen to be so many small networks in that area that were, a lot of them were like, Hey, hey, Kenneth, like, you know, we'd love to have a YouTube cash node, but we don't qualify, right? And so I, I actually started a conversation with Google's network engineering team about, hey, so like, I know that no one of these 12 wireless ISPs are big enough to qualify, but what if you were to look at all 12 of them in the aggregate, right? Because they're all, they all are connected to this one internet exchange point. And so I managed to work out a deal between Google's cache node that I host it on Firefly Design, but I administratively tell the cache node that Firefly Design isn't just the one cabinet, it's everyone that's connected to FCIX who doesn't opt out of it, right? Like we have like if someone doesn't want to participate in this cache node for some reason they, they can, but I'm feeding 12 actual ISPs worth of eyeballs into this cache node and the cache node's like, great. And it's serving content. This is, uh, at this point, Kenneth has gotten real in terms yes. of like, this is like, like now you're talking no, real traffic, real people. All yeah. of a sudden it's like, wait, we are, we have actual real ISPs with real customers <laughs> right. behind it. There's money moving everywhere except for on FCIS. <laughs> right, right. Right. Oh my God. Right. And so that this has kind of been how that project has taken off. That is hilarious. Right. 
And so, so what happens? So you, so you get a couple of YouTube servers. I mean, yeah. so you Google Google ships me two two U servers. They're stuffed full of hard drives, right? So it's, it's about a hundred hundred terabytes of hard drives for their cache node. Um, and yeah, it's like it sits there, and like I had, I had to sign a contract. To, like the the contract that you sign with Google says that you can't publish any of their raw statistics. Right, but, I can imagine. Right, because like, are, are you allowed to even take the box? You know, you can't take the box apart. I mean, you're not allowed to. Well, I mean, I'm, I I perhaps might have you know accident the cover might have accidentally fell Look, off. Look, accidents was, happen right? all <laughs> the time. You know, and it's I like think. you know who who could even really control that? I, um, I, actually, no. The um the Dell one was the the Google one was actually really interesting because they didn't. <laughs> Google didn't ship me a server. What Google did was they ordered two Dells and shipped the Dells to me. Okay. So these servers were new in box from Dell. Google never even saw them. Oh, these were not like the Google, a Google appliance. Yeah, these were not. Yeah. So when I say appliance, it was just, it was really just in the abstract. And so these were t- literally. Google t- was just another company in line waiting to buy you hardware, in other words. Yes. Right. So they, they, they bought Dell servers and they shipped them to me. And then they emailed me a, a URL to a USB key image and said, install this operating system. Wow. Right, and so Google has their own OS for these cache appliances that it's it it boots up, it runs through, um, it has fields where it says, all right, you know, uh, type in what subnet, you know, tell me how to get to the internet, and who to be, you know, what what your where your router is to talk to your router, and then they take it from there, well, and so their servers then phone home, and Google gets control of them and configures them, provisions them, and figures out where my cache node happens to sit in the whole internet at large. And then Google runs their own control plane for how they want to steer traffic, content, right? Okay, right yeah. Content, um, steer content to the end users. All right. And so if, if you ever like really di- like tear apart in you know, like your developer's console, when you look at a YouTube video and you click on the video and start playing it, um, you'll notice that all of the actual video content is coming from some really weird URL that's like a whole bunch of characters of garbage.googlevideo.com. And and th- what it is is that they have a different host name for every single different server that you could ever serve a YouTube video from. And their control plane tells the end client which, which one to go to? Which server to pull it from? Interesting. Right. Cool. And, so, and so that's how that works. And it, it's, it's really it, so, right. So, like, I sit there and I, I watch. Um, you know, so they, they'll typically for these cash appliances steer the most popular content to it so they can then, you know, cash hit the most and serve the same video over and over and over again from in there. Right. And so it's like, yeah, so they, they, they ship me these Dell servers. I racked them. I powered them on. I installed their OS and it's been hands off ever since. And if I, like, if I need to like turn off, you know, if I had a maintenance window last week, I open a ticket with Google saying, Hey, my router is going to disappear for a few days, you know, for a few hours, they drain the node and then, you know, then it comes back and. We keep going. Wow. And what is Hurricane Electric? They, do they find this amusing that you are now on Google's control plane for video? Yeah, I mean, they, they, like- I mean like, right, because they, they think it's fantastic, right? Okay. Because all of a sudden now, in addition, like, because there's no way. Because now you're giving actual real value for is, ISPs is, to locate yeah. into Hurricane Electric. Absolute, you know. Like their tan- crazy plan has worked. Yeah, like <laughs> it's extremely tangible results because like one of the problems with Fremont is it's only one millisecond from San Jose. Right, and if you go look back at like the ARPANET days and the NSF net, um, the original concept of the internet was that the continental U.S. would have eight metro area, like there would be eight points of interconnection that would make the internet happen. Right, of course, we've grown way past that, and so there's now many more than eight connect- connectivity points to make the internet happen. But San Jose was one of them. Right, and so if if you want to take out the internet in San Jose, you want to go look at 55 Market in downtown and 11 Great Oaks, which is down 
like South San Jose on 101, those two buildings are really what make the internet happen, which means that you've got your Facebook and Netflix and Google and Akamai and Cloudflare. They're all in those, just those two buildings. And since Fremont is only one millisecond away from it, anyone that really needs connectivity into those networks, well, I mean, just it's one millisecond away, like just get connectivity down to San Jose. But we've now somehow managed to bring YouTube up to Fremont without actually getting Google to build out to Fremont because they would never do it. Maybe. If, if anyone from Google's listening and they want to build out to Fremont, please do. <laughs> please do. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, and you can, well, actually, well, I, they want to build out to Fremont. They should just send you more servers, it sounds like. It sounds oh, yeah, like right? the, yeah. you are Kenneth is the Fremont build out <laughs> More plan. likely someone out there is like, okay, I want to franchise this. I want to go do XCIX in, you know, yeah, Philly or- and, and that's and that, and that's actually and and running internet exchanges is one of these really interesting things because there are, of course, many different business models to do them. Uh, if you kind of by some metrics, if you go look, you can figure there's about 600 of these things worldwide, right? Some of them 600 internet exchanges. 600 internet exchanges. And how many of these places have like these YouTube appliances? That, I mean, how, how many different? It's 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 hard to say, right? right. Because of course it's like they're not going to publish. Yeah, like yeah. Google Google wants their control plane to be proprietary because they do a lot of very intelligent things on it that like like how Google routes around the internet is not at all what the RFCs say they should. <laughs> right. Um because like they just have to cuz like you you can't you can't make the internet work at the scale that we've made it work if you follow the RFCs and the specs naively. And so like yeah, net you know, Google, you know, Google doesn't want to really tell you exactly where all of their infrastructure is. No one else really wants to tell you where their infrastructure is. And a lot of this, the internet exchanges are really for this weird long tail of the small ISPs and the small content providers. If you're Google, the vast majority of your traffic is going to Comcast, right? And so Google, like Comcast doesn't participate in internet exchanges because Anyone that's big enough that they need to serve terabits of content to Comcast's eyeballs, um, Comcast thinks they can get get those people to pay them money, right? And so they, instead of peering with Netflix over a settlement-free internet exchange, Comcast thinks I can get money from them instead. Get money from Netflix. From Netflix. Oh, interesting. Right, because Netflix can't depend on, I mean, this is the whole peering dispute between Comcast and Netflix a couple of years ago. Right. That... Netflix could not depend on the internet infrastructure at large to serve their content into Comcast. And so the only viable way for Netflix to get video content to their consumer, to their customers inside of Comcast network was either we got to peer directly with them or embed appliances there. And Comcast was like, well, that's great, but we're getting money for it. Right. Right. Mm. Because Comcast was more interested in money than they were with their users, customers experience on some video streaming platform that wasn't theirs. Right. And so once you start digging into this stuff, you start seeing where. Seeing how this happens. Yeah. And the net neutrality stuff is a really hard question. And Netflix is like, you know what? We've got Kenneth in our back pocket. (laughs) We we, we got a Trump card. There you go, Kenneth. Yes. All right. Um, But so so getting back to the point of like these internet exchanges, um, ours was just this mad, you know, mad cacophony of all these happy circumstances that all lined up that it just worked out perfectly for us that we've been up into the right. Starting with some messy cabling. Yeah. Like it was, it was literally we were trying to hide some cabling. Right. Um, and it's like, cause the original cabal didn't really need to appear with each other. But once you start getting a few networks on there, it's like, well, there's other networks in the building that wanted to appear with and other networks on there. Right? I mean, it is the actual network effect, right? It, it, yeah. It's literally this, this, once you hit this critical mass, everyone wants on. Right. Right. 
And so we've, we've, we've now really arguably hit that point. It's funny. I mean, it's like, it's the history of the internet writ small. Yes. Right. And it's, it's very, it's a very old school story of the internet that just, it, it, the, the internet happened by all of this sort of thing happening time and time again. Yeah. And it was kind of a similar stuff. My, maybe minus the illegal cabling. Maybe not. I, you know, no, probably, really probably not, not. not minus yeah, the, yeah, no, drilling like, and like so, so many of the early peering agreements were like, weren't supposed to happen because like the original concepts of like, no, like if you're going to connect one network to another, there's got to be contracts involved and written agreements. And then the network engineers went, well, yeah, but it's going to take us 18 months to pound out whatever this new concept of a peering contract even looks like. Let's just plug a cable in and not tell any of the business people because the business people can't tell what a router looks like anyways. <laughs> right, right. Right. And so like, Interesting. like this is, this is how the internet happens and it's terrifying and it's messy and it's held together with duct tape and bailing wire but this is how it actually happens. <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh, so yeah, so, all right, so, so the Kenneth net, the, 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 the cabal, uh, internet uh, it, it, it's, uh, FJX, it's pronounced fuckix. Oh, <laughs> I, like I like it. It's right. good. Um, so, uh, this thing is now becoming real and legit and growing. Yeah, um, we're, I mean, we are, we are by any metric, we're a legit internet exchange. We're up to, uh, we've got about, we just broke 50 networks, um, on, on the exchange. So we've wow. got, we've got 50 different, unique autonomous system numbers moving traffic. Now yeah. people are surprised your ASN so high. They're like, right. oh, yeah, I thought like, it would have been a lot lower. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, and so we've got, you know, we've got 50 networks on there. We're moving on a typical day. We're peaking at about six or seven gigabits per second wow. across this thing. So it's like, we're, we're actually, we're, we're actually to, legit. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it's like, so, and and it's still free. Right? Okay, yeah, so has it broken during the day? Have you had to go fix it? And yeah. How do people? Because now, when when the uh, the Kenneth net goes down, maybe people, people maybe probably people, are like, people yeah. will start to notice, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the great thing about an internet exchange is, at its core, it's really simple. It's literally an Ethernet switch, right? And so you, but have, Ethernet switches break. Yeah. Do you have two of them? Uh, well, well, now we actually have many. All right. Um, yeah. Thank so you, Arista. The, all right. So thank, yeah, thanks, Arista. Because the problem is, uh, once we got above forty eight peers, we ran out of ports on the Ethernet switch. And so we actually did have to, we had to you know, set up a maintenance window and say, all right, guys, like uh, we're adding a second Ethernet switch and um, this half of you, um, you're going to see your port uh, administratively go down for a few minutes then come back up. Um, and that's because we're moving half of you to the other Ethernet <laughs> right, switch. Exactly. I, that's because the cable is actually in my hand. Yeah, like I'm, I'm physically moving you and I can't <laughs> move it fast enough to let the BGPs actually not go down. Um, and so it's like, so yeah, so I, I, I had to have a planned outage for everyone for that. Um, and it's like, and we have extra convenience value add services running on it. Like if you don't want to have to set up, you know, if you don't want to do the whole dense mesh of set up a BGP peering session with the 49 other networks on there, we have this thing called a route server that everyone typically connects to the route server, puts their routes on it. And then the route server does the dense mesh for you. Um, which again, that's not a critical part of the exchange because the exchange is just the layer two ethernet switch, but you know, it, it's convenient. Um, and so like, yeah, if, if I accidentally if accidentally or deliberately reboot that system because of a new kernel or I need to update some piece of software. Yeah. I see the traffic decrease a little bit. Um, but the in infrastructure hasn't actually gone down. So we haven't lost any packets for anyone. And the internet is designed to route around damage. Right. And so it's not really that we've had an outage. It's that we've, encouraged everyone to move their traffic elsewhere. And then as other parts of the internet have problems, we see that traffic come back. This was going to ask, I mean, going into this, I assume you did not have that much experience in internet engineering. Oh yeah, no, I didn't. Like this is, this is the terrifying part is that some schmuck who was an electrical engineer at a semiconductor fab company can with, uh, 
right? Because the joke, you know, it was hold my beer. I'm starting an autonomous system. Right. I bought a book on BGP and on a 14 hour flight to China, read it and landed and ordered a router. Right. Nice. And so this was, you know, it was a 72 hour crash course in BGP that got me into autonomous systems. And then it was a joke that got me to, into internet exchanges. So before two years ago, I had never touched BGP and like I, I wasn't in networking. And I so, think BGP is one of those things that um, if you're a student, you don't learn about. I mean, you, you oh, okay. You, well, I guess that's not true. I, technically, I think I did in one of my, in my one network lab for electrical engineering, we did like one day on BGP. They're like, this is the core internet. It exists. 100, 100, right. Yeah, it exists. There's about a hundred people that ever need to touch it. Um, moving on. Oh yeah, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like as a practitioner, you begin to realize after a couple of years or whatever, like, wait a minute, this is, BGP is load bearing for yeah. everything. Yeah. And occasionally you see, you know, a, a bad BGP route is pushed or what have you that brings down, you know, yeah, right, and, and Texas, and it, yeah, well, or yeah, right, <laughs> and, and that's and that's where like I, I know that like one of the big outages last year was literally caused by a cement plant, and like why doesn't a cement plant run an autonomous system number? Ask the out of business architecture firm, right? Like it's the same sort of thing. It's like well, you know, some over eager network engineer somewhere, or they right. or they or they had some real business need for it, right? Like who knows. Um, but you start getting these things where if someone internally is doing something goofy and unfortunately BGP being designed by academics for the university ARPANET system, um, it assumes trust. It assumes trust. It yeah, assumes right. trust. And so if you accidentally tell someone, um, yeah, all of Google is behind us and we have really good specific routes to Google, everyone, the whole rest of the internet goes, oh yeah, that's great. Dump. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, and so- it's like, yeah, it's it's terrifying how easy it is. But yeah, so two years ago, I wasn't a network engineer. Um, then back in May, I quit my job as an electrical engineer because I realized that it wasn't bringing me joy. Um, and now I'm working as, you know, a network consultant and interviewing for various network engineering positions at companies. And so once again, my hobby has accidentally become my career. That's pretty <laughs> great. Interesting. And, and do you come out, I mean, I, I thinking, I mean, understanding much more about how the internet works, mm -hmm you must come out thinking on the one hand, it's much more fragile in terms of it is all just kind of a bailing wire. Yeah. On the other hand, it's much more robust too. I mean, it, right? oh, I mean, it's it, when you look at it in the local sense, it's incredible, right? Like what we have done and the um, like dozen orders of magnitude that we've scaled this stuff up. It's just, it's phenomenal what it's we've insane. done. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And when you, when a company puts the right thought into their disaster recovery and the failure modes for it, um, you can make your internet connection, your presence on the internet bulletproof, right? Like you really can. Um, it's just a question of how much time and energy and the right engineers and money you want to put into it. Um, but the, the internet is designed to route around damage. And so if there's damage somewhere and you're on both sides of it, um, you don't see a problem. That's amazing. Uh, so, and just because a question we love to ask about, surely things went technically wrong at some point while getting this together. So I, I've actually, I mean, so it, it, the the Fremont Cavalt Internet Exchange has gone unbelievably smooth. Um, oh my God. Oh, don't, don't, you want, don't, don't you want to knock on wood when you say that? <laughs> I mean, that's I, impossible. I, right. Because it, it's like, it's, it's conceptually so simple that, I mean, all, all we're doing is connecting people. It's like, have, have we had small problems? Yes. Right. It's like, um, and most of these things are actually because um, basic things that you would think are absolutely true, like switches that speak Ethernet should talk to each other, um, don't actually end up being true. Um, is we have, we've had many problems with turning up new networks that we plug the cable in on both sides 
and the link doesn't come up, hmm. which you would think, I mean, it's ethernet, like what could possibly go wrong? Right. And so like I, and so like you get in these bizarre situations where I was sitting on a ranch out on the Sacramento Delta in the middle of California on the phone with a guy in Japan who was work, logged into his router and I was logged into my switch and we were trying to get his router for Mroot, another one of the authoritative DNS servers, talking to the cabal. And I'm talking to this guy in Japan. We're like, we're trying to figure out why it's not working. Um, and we just, we couldn't get it to work, right? And so finally he ended up, it was, it was gross. Like he ended up putting another ethernet switch between his router and our switch. And so he has an entire rack mount switch that has one cable from his router into it and then a second cable from it into the exchange. All right, so the guy from Japan, yes. is his servers are sitting in Fremont? Is that yeah, right? They're okay. they're, All right. right? I feel like that's an important detail. Yes, right. And so it's like- I was confused. Literally like this cable, it, the cable ended up being like 10 meters long. And this was actually hilarious because like, so we're, we're, we're sitting there, like we had just gotten the VeriSign J root and we're like, all right, there's 12 other root DNS servers. How, you know, how many of the other ones can we get on this exchange? Because if anyone on the exchange is running a DNS resolver, like having these authoritative servers, means that they can, you know, the speed of light isn't working against you because you're in the same building. Right. And so, you know, I start doing these trace routes out and, to- And now you're a part of every sales call for Hurricane Electric. I mean, because now oh. you got like, like ridiculously <laughs> yeah. fast no, DNS. Well, honest <clears throat> to God, I am. Like, like we're we're getting like this, like in the last, I, I, th- I, I don't know why, but in the last week we've gotten like 10 signups. Nice. And I, I think it's gotta be because we're coming up on the end of the year. And so everyone's re- like, they're renewing their contracts. And we sales hit, team needs some extras, right? And the sales team, sales team needs some metrics. And it's like, and we've now hit critical mass on this contract rotation that it's real easy for them to sell. And so, yeah, like I, almost all of my applications are, Hey, um, because we actually in our application form put, how did you hear about us? And so about half the people say, we saw your stickers in the lobby and about half them are my sales rep for hurricane told me to join. Wow. <laughs> right. That's dope. Um, and so, Oh God, where was I going on that story? Well, so on the, so you got a lot of the root in terms of yeah, so the root DNS servers, right? So I'm doing trace routes to A and I'm doing trace routes to B and C and D. They're all lettered. And so I finally get to M. And so I do this trace route to M and my trace route to the M root server goes to the end of aisle switch that I'm getting my hurricane transit from. And then it comes back and it hits M root. I'm like, wow, what? Wait. It's in the building. <laughs> it's in the building. <laughs> it, it's what? And I'm thinking, okay. How are they on the same aisle as me? I'm like, wait, 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 let's let's think about because you know, I walk through that aisle about once every two weeks, right? Um, because like I worked three blocks away, so it was real convenient. I'm like, who who in that aisle looked like a root server? And I'm thinking back, like, okay, well, there's that one customer like six cabinets down from me that like they were they were racking it, and it was two guys that, like their English wasn't very good, um, and it, the whole cabinet was just obsessively, compulsively, beautifully cable laced and labeled and everything. Um, I wonder if they're M root. And so the next time I'm there, I, I go and I, like, it was literally like I'm on, on hurricanes transit switch. I'm like on port eight and this, and whoever M root ended up on port six. So I walk over to their cabin. I look through the grading. I see cable six and I walk it up and I follow it and I, I'm watching it go down the cable tray. And yeah, it's like my cabinet, five other cabinets. And then it drops down into this cabinet. that has got six, one use servers. I'm like, Oh, holy crap, root. right. They're West, their West coast presence happens to be in the same aisle as us. So, right. Wow. I, I email Emroot. Hey, so I noticed that we're in the same aisle and we'd love for you to appear on the Fremont Cabal Internet Exchange. Right. So that's, that's how we, that's how we sold a port to Emroot on the exchange. <laughs> dope. Um, but it's like, so it's like, yeah, you get into these bizarre, like, so like, we've had lots of these little problems, but we have not yet knock on wood in the year and a half we were running FCIX had an outage there. 
Wow. Fire, Crazy. Firefly Design itself, my network, we had all sorts of outages, right? Like FreeNAS has been the bane of my existence um, because FreeNAS, everyone's going to go, nah, NFS server's going out. And then like all of my VMs that are sitting on the NFF server go down. So like, you know, it all comes back to storage problems. I'm so sorry. <sighs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know. You know, here I was uh, w- hoping to have a networking debugging war story and it's just going to be a storage war story. No, and it's like, you know, it's- yeah. It's hard drives suck. <laughs> uh, hard drives are very mechanical, unfortunately. I mean, the thing is, like, once you get uh, once you get the network working, and there's no reason for it to stop working effectively. Yeah. All right. I, I guess I mean, like, what, the, probably the 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 most nuanced, subtle problem we've had on FCX. I'm like, and th- yeah. So like, we've had nothing at large that like everyone went, "Oh my god, this go haywire." We've had just like lots of s- weird port problems impacting single ports, right? And so like, we've had weird interactions between like BGP ha- by default has this like three minute timeout. Um, before it says, okay, this router really is gone, which is kind of terrifying when you think about it, that if you just yank a cord somewhere, if you cut a cord and like both routers and both sides can't see it, um, it takes them a few, like a, a, three minutes. It takes them a few minutes to realize, okay, yeah, this other router is probably really gone. Let's route around it, right? Which in, in the age of email um, was fine, right? Because like once you sent your email, like your, your email server only dialed into your local transit provider a few times a day. So it didn't really matter if the internet took a few minutes to route around some damage, but like now you care about that a little bit more. We have a, we have a security policy set on our switch that if it sees more than one Mac address on your port, it means that like, cause our, when I sell a port, I'm like, all right, you can connect your one router to the exchange. And so I, I have the switches. If they when see- When you say sell, just to be clear, you're not taking any money. Oh yes. yeah, it's free. Sell for $0. Sell for $0. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Sell in the concept that- this is where the money would happen if there was money. <laughs> the we money do open the register here. and close it to hear the ding, <laughs> well, but yeah, nothing goes in. You have to. Any transaction opens a cash register, even if it's a credit card right, transaction, right, or right. even if it's zero dollars, like it just the, the, the drawer opens and you have to close it again. Right. right. You just keep using that verb sell. Sell. Yeah. Right. right? Sell. I, I sell this I sell this port to this guy, and he didn't have his router directly connected to the switch. He had a switch in between he had a switch on his side between our switch and his router for various technical reasons that meant that when our port saw he accidentally had two Mac addresses on his side, which violated our, you know, your routers connected to just only your routers connected to us violated that. So our switch shut down the port for 30 seconds to say, Hey, like you're doing something wrong. Um, his router though, didn't, wasn't able to see that because his router wasn't connected to the exchange. His switch was. So a switch went huh, Weird. That's weird. Like the, the port went down, but whatever, no big deal. Um, and the router is still seeing the live port to the switch. And so it's still sending BGP keep alives that aren't going through for 30 seconds. And they start going through and then they start not. Right. And so for like the first two days, this guy's, he's like, yeah, like every like 30 or 40 minutes, all of a sudden, like our session drops and like we lose all our traffic and then it all comes back again. And I want we really, my money back. Right. And we really, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want my money back. Well, so of course, I mean, I was incredibly, once I realized what it was, what it happened was the 30 second interval that the ports are shutting down and then the three seconds that it comes back up and the three minute interval that's a timeout, the two of the, those two timeouts were phasing in and out. And so about every 30 or 40 minutes, his router would finally realize that the port's going down, shut it down, come back up, and then they'd start over and it would take about another, another 30 minutes for it to fa- get in phase again to kill it. Um, so I was extremely apologetic. I gave him with a 200% refund on, <laughs> yeah. right. on this right. next three months for free. Right. Yeah. Next three months for free. Um, and it's like, okay, well, lesson learned there. Like, you know, you, you want, you want your lower level, you know, layer one, layer two timeouts to be longer than your session timeouts up above it. Um, and so it's these like little nuanced things. Everyone learns it the hard way. Um, 
but it didn't really cause that much problem, right? Because it's like, you know, he was, when when his router realized something was wrong, he routed around it and he used the rest of the internet. So Right. And he actually used the power of the internet yeah. to avoid seeing the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so- great. Well, Kenneth, this has been awesome. Um, if people want to learn more about what you've done, with where's the, the or tap into Kenneth? Yes. Matt. So um, the the best place to see me long form is on my blog at uh, blog.thelifeofkenneth.com. and then for short for, short form, you're shit, doing nothing to dispel the Forrest Gump. By the oh, way, oh yeah, no, mythology, I mean, it's, right. it's not wrong. Like, yeah, right, exactly. Right, and so that's that's where I write my long form stuff on like these funny stories of like so you know I, I handed someone my beer last week and did something else. Um, so that's where I do my long form stuff for my short form shit posting stuff. I'm on Twitter, um, three letters at kwf. Awesome. Well, this has been great. It's been you know it's been a lot of fun. We think about on the metal as being the can compute substrate or or the storage substrate, but of course it's also the net networking substrate. This has been great, wildly it, it, edutational. <laughs> Educational. Educational. Thank you so much, Kevin. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Metal, Tales from the Hardware Software Interface. For show notes, to learn more about our guests, or to sign up for our mailing list, visit us at onthemetal.fm. On the Metal is a production of Oxide Computer Company and is recorded in the Oxide Garage in Oakland, California. To learn more about Oxide, visit us at oxide.computer. On the Metal is hosted by me, Brian Cantrell, along with Jess Frisell, and we are frequently joined by our boss, Steve Tuck. Our original and awesome theme music is by J.J. Weisler at Pollen Music Group. You can learn more about J.J. and Pollen at pollenmusicgroup.com. We are edited and produced by Chris Hill and his crew at HumblePod. From Jess, from Steve, from me, and from all of us at Oxide Computer Company, thanks for listening to On the Metal.